ask you to turn your Bibles to Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 7. 1 to 7. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what is prayer? Two, who does Paul tell the people they should pray for? Three, can you name some different kinds of prayer? Four, what is a mediator? And five, how is Jesus the mediator between God and man? First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Aaron's reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And we know that your truth needs to be proclaimed. And we thank you that we have the privilege of having the truth of your scriptures proclaimed in our church. We turn our attention from that which is your holy, pure word, infallible and inerrant, to the means that you've ordained to proclaim your word, preaching. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify the words of the preacher and that you would use them for your intended end. That you would touch our hearts through the ministry of your word and through your Holy Spirit. So please help the preacher and help all of us to receive from you today. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, firstly, pray. Firstly, pray. God's people need to be reminded to keep priorities straight. It's not as if Paul just began his letter, but he very early on says, make it a priority in essence, make it a priority to pray. It's got to be at the top of the life of a church. It's got to be at the top of the life of an individual. Scripture is filled with directions on how to pray, filled with examples of prayer, filled with exhortations to pray. God's people are to pray. It's assumed that God's people, in other words, will be taking advantage of the privilege of communicating with the Almighty God. That's not afforded to just everyone. It's afforded to those who are in Christ. So God's people need to pray, and surprisingly, we need to be reminded to do so. The church at Ephesus needed to be reminded to pray. They were under a lot of pressure in their community there, in their society. 
they needed to be reminded to pray and make things of God a priority over and above that which, for instance, the false teachers were doing. They were getting hung up on all kinds of things, myths and genealogies, talking about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin, basically contemplating their theological navels. Don't do that, Christians. Focus on the things that are of utmost importance, and for the people of God, prayer is one of them. Prayer is one of them. We need that reminder, too. We can get so caught up as individuals that we neglect prayer, but we can get caught up as a church, too, in things that, that distract us, that kind of stand in front of our need to come to God in prayer for those things. We can get hung up in programs. We can get hung up in all kinds of stuff. We can get hung up in disputes in the church, arguments. We can get into focusing on the style of music, involved in squabbles and all kinds of things. We can become so insular. We can become so self-focused, even as a church, that we forget our mission, but further we forget how much our mission is dependent upon prayer. When we put together what we believe are the five most important things, the core values of this church, we did not include prayer for this specific reason, because we understand that none of what we do as a church, all of our programs, all of our convictions, and all of our things that we're doing will amount to very little, if nothing, if we're not praying. We need to be a people of prayer. We can't forget our mission. The people of Ephesus couldn't forget their mission. No wonder Paul was urging them to prayer, urging them to pray. It's interesting that the word there could literally be translated, he's calling them out, I call you out to pray. He's calling them out, you've got to pray. And here he's being very specific about prayers for the advancement of the kingdom. Well, first, a couple things generally about, about prayer. I've preached on prayer many times. I've written uh, things on prayer. I've preached series on prayer. I've organized devotionals for our prayer time. And prayer, the issue of prayer itself, can sometimes seem very complicated, very difficult to understand. And there are certainly aspects of prayer that we really don't understand. We simply need to pray. And what I always go back to and what I will always go back to is simply pray. Someone mentioned that they wanted to grow their prayer life. We need as a church to grow our prayer life. And the way to do that is how? To pray. And to pray always. We need to make it a priority in our lives and corporately because prayer changes us. But prayer also has an impact on things around us. It has impact on people around us. For some reason, and it's God's reason, he's included us in this, in this process of changing things. It's not like God changes when we pray, but he calls us to pray and he responds to what we pray in the life circumstances that we find ourselves in. The circumstances of our communities, of our societies, of our country, of the world. He responds to those prayers and he includes us 
has a privilege to be a part of praying for those things. There's a whole variety of kinds of prayers that we can pray. I always like to follow this pattern for my own prayers. First of all, adoration, bringing praise to God, and then, then uh, thanksgiving for all the blessings that he bestows, and then confession for sin. And then intercession for individuals and then petition for bigger things. Paul emphasizes four here, supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving. But in this case, they're all directed to the advance of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom, the advance of the ministry. And that's one part of prayer that we also need to make sure that we are on board with. That we're on board with. That we're praying that the work of the Holy Spirit and the word would go forward with strength and with power. In order for that to happen, we need to pray for God's people so that we'll have the ability to do that and we'll have to be praying for the people to whom the gospel is going to go. We've tried to have corporate prayer meetings here. We pray as individuals I trust. We pray with your families. We open and close prayer meeting or open and close Bible studies with prayer, Sunday school with prayer. We pray together as a congregation. But there's something very special about, about corporate prayer, prayer meetings. And we've tried that here with mixed reviews. We used to have one here and that tapered off after a while. Then we'd meet in homes and that was really uneven where one group would thrive and the other would have no attenders. And so it's been met with mixed reviews here in our own church, but there's something very important about these, these congregational corporate prayer times. Now, I don't want to diminish what happened when we did get together and prayed those prayer times. I have to believe that when we prayed for the individuals of this church, our prayers were heard and they made a difference. I have to believe that when we prayed for our nation, that those prayers were heard and made a difference. We might not see it, but I know that God heard our prayers. When we prayed for our missionaries, I have to believe that those prayers mattered when we went through each missionary. When we prayed for countries, and we prayed for the believers in those countries, and we prayed for the unbelievers in those countries, I have to believe that those prayers that the people of God prayed made a difference. How exactly? I don't know. But God calls us to pray. God calls us to pray. And it's very interesting here. It's so broad. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. All kinds of people. All kinds of people. Every race, every segment of mankind. All people, all kinds of people. It's so sweet when you hear a child say they want to pray that everybody would get saved. Everybody would get saved. And, and that, the heart of that prayer is a wonderful thing. We know that that's not the way it works. But we do want to pray that the gospel would go out into the world, into different places, because that's how people do get saved. People hear and believe. And again, we have to pray for believers and unbelievers of every sort. For believers that they would be free to worship. 
but in line with what Paul is saying here, that there would be freedom for the gospel to advance. He's very specific. He says, pray for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for your civil leaders. We're to pray for them, whether they're favorable towards the church or unfavorable, whether they're wicked or whether they're good, we're to pray for our leaders. If they're not believers, we need to pray for their conversion. We should pray for our leaders' protection. I don't think it's inappropriate to pray that wicked, godless leaders would be removed, however, whatever means God would use to remove them, but we need to pray for our leaders. But Paul is very specific here about why we're to pray for the leaders, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. But you have to go on. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, it's not wrong for us to pray that we would have peace for our own sakes. But this isn't a prayer about our being comfortable. It's not a prayer about our living in ease. This prayer is a prayer that's focused again on the advancement of the gospel, peace and freedom for the church to worship, to do what we're called to do, but specifically freedom to get the saving word, the gospel, out into the world. And that's gone different ways according to God's will when people have prayed. You can be sure that, that revivals always start with prayers of God's people. Great missionary movements that are affected are backed up by prayer. Sometimes doors are open that we would have never expected to be open. But other times it goes the other way. The other way. Sometimes there's oppression. Sometimes there's persecution. And when it goes that way, do you want to know how to pray? Do you want to know how to pray when the government or other religions come in and press down on Christianity? How did the disciples pray? First time they're persecuted after the Holy Spirit's poured out on them and they're persecuted, they go back and they pray, thanking the Lord that they were privileged to suffer for the name of Christ. And what do they ask for? They ask for more boldness. But here we are with great freedom. We have to ask ourselves, how bold are we and how much are we praying for boldness? My understanding is that the more freedom there is, the more fervent the church should be to proclaim the gospel loudly. And if we're going to pray for peace and we're going to pray that, that the, the clamps won't come down on the church, we better be praying that it's so that we can worship freely and bring the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. That's what Paul says, that they would know the truth. 
The truth is the saving knowledge of Christ, the advancement of the kingdom as it captures the hearts and minds and souls of men, women, and children. That's why Paul is urgently encouraging them to pray. Sometimes you might stumble on what's said here. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, look, it's not as if God has a desire, God wants something that he won't get. That's not what's being said here. But if God didn't desire, put it this way, if God didn't desire people to be saved, he never would have put the whole plan of redemption, plan of salvation in place. It's the only way that people can be saved. God's desire, it's the whole reason for the plan of redemption. God making possible what's impossible for sinful man to do, and that is save himself and reconcile himself to God. And it comes by God's design. By God's design. See, the work of reconciliation is God's work. And and that is necessary for all men to know because for humanity, in reality, there's not only one God, there aren't a bunch of different gods, but there's only one way to be reconciled to that God. And all kinds of people need to hear the gospel and get saved. How that works? Up against God's absolute sovereignty, his sovereign grace in saving souls, is not for us to know. There are things we know and there are things we don't know. Honestly, when Paul preached in public, he didn't go out and say, now I'm sure that person's going to get saved, I'm sure that person, I'm sure that person. He preached to everyone and anyone he could come across. God is the one who does the saving. We come up against that perplexity, and then then why does God use us to pray and to preach and to share the gospel? It's, It's his design. I like the way Kent Hughes put it. He says, it's not our responsibility or capability to solve the puzzle of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. In other words, how God's sovereignty and human responsibility come together. It's not our responsibility or capability to solve the puzzle of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Ours is to pray and to proclaim. Pretty simple. But it's God's delight to include us. God delights when his people pray. It's what we're told. It's pleasing in his sight. God delights when his people participate in the advancement of the kingdom through the spread of the gospel. Those are things that delight God. But at the heart of it is what's there again in verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Saving knowledge of the truth. The truth is the whole counsel of God in Scripture. 
The heart of the truth that Paul is hammering out here is the gospel. And in its very simplest terms, man is a sinner, he needs a savior, and God provides that savior for him. That's the truth that people need to know. We're told, we're reminded, it's not as if God's people need to be reminded. Verse 5, there is one God. Remember, in Ephesus, they're living in a community where there are all kinds of gods being worshipped. There's one God. There is no other. And there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Only one mediator. Why do we need a mediator? We need someone to go between us. We need someone to stand between sinners like us and a holy God. Couldn't help but think of this in terms of children, where you might have an older sibling and their younger sibling gets in trouble and the older sibling, I know it doesn't work this way in reality, I'm dreaming, no, it might, where the older sibling goes to the parents on behalf of the younger sibling and tries to make a peaceful resolution for the younger sibling. It would be really extraordinary if that older sibling said, I'll take the spanking. Now that's mediation. But when it comes to us and it comes to God, it's far more serious. The gap between God and man isn't just a small offense. It's not just a, an empty chasm. It's, it's, it's a chasm, it's a canyon swirling with wrath. And so the only one who could be a mediator for people like us who deserve that wrath and who have that chasm between us and God, the only one who can do that would be one who could fully satisfy that wrath, and that one is the only mediator, Christ Jesus. And the world needs to know that, and every sinner needs to know that, because if that gap is not bridged, and if that wrath is not satisfied, there's only misery in this life, and worse on the other side. We're told here that the only mediator, the only one sufficient is Christ Jesus, the only one who can close that eternal gap. Paul also uses a word here that we don't use that often, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a ransom. We usually think of ransom with kidnapping or with terrorists who, who in those cases, the criminal demands money from the person to whom that individual or those people belong. So somebody kidnaps a child, they demand money from the parent. Someone holds people hostage, they demand money from that country. Something has to be paid, that ransom has to be paid in order to retrieve that child or those hostages. The one in this case, though, who is owed is God. He's the one who needs to have his demands satisfied. Never make the mistake that God somehow 
negotiates with the devil. God is redeeming us from sin ultimately and from his own wrath. And God is the only one sufficient enough to bring us back and he does so through Christ. Psalm 49, 7-8 says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. But here's Jesus' direct answer to that, and only he can answer it this way. Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to make the payment for sin that a sinner could never pay even if he took an eternity to try to pay it. And Jesus did so by dying on the cross and bearing the wrath that mankind deserved and paying the debt. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus pays that wage. And so it's God who is the one who actually provides the mediator and the ransom in the person of Christ. One person put it this way, so in the beautiful irony of the gospel, we are effectively saved from God by God. I hope you see how this makes it so important that the gospel go out and that we pray that the gospel would go out and that we would be a part of it. Because this is the truth that a sinful, dying world needs to know. That is the truth. And the world needs to hear it, and the fervent prayers of God's people will be used to advance it, to blaze the trail, so to speak. That's why Paul, again, urges such prayer. He asks for prayer for that for himself. He says that that's what he's been called to do. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Just briefly, some of Paul's prayers. This one comes at the end of, of the armor of God. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly for, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Romans, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And then Philemon, here's Paul praying for someone else. Very same kind of thing. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus 
and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith, the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Prayers for God's people to be used to present, to proclaim the gospel. We need to pray that way. We need to pray that way for ourselves. By the way, I would want to say, and it would be a whole different sermon, just just don't pray, do something. But we do need to pray, and that's what we're exhorted to do here. We need to pray for souls, souls of people that we know in our lives. We need to pray. We do pray for revival. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to continue to pray for the advancement of the kingdom. And we need to be a part of it. Paul's prayer in Colossians includes the body. And so I want to close with this particular prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, or this, I'm sorry, this exhortation. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. By the way, that's my prayer request for you, to make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Then he says this to the congregation, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord, we pray by beginning to thank you for the fact that somewhere, somehow, along the way, Someone or maybe many people prayed for us that we would hear the gospel and that we would believe. And so we're so thankful for the prayers of the saints with regard to the advancement of your kingdom. Where we thank you that you have made your people a part of your kingdom and you've given us the great privilege, folks right here, we right here in your own church at Covenant, part of the privilege of being part of the work of your kingdom, to pray for the advancement of your gospel, to pray for freedom, to worship, and to proclaim the good news. You've also given us the privilege of being a part of that actually happening. And so we pray for us, we pray for ourselves as individuals that you would embolden us to be witnesses for Christ. We pray that you would embolden our church to be used by you for your great glory. That we would always be those who proclaim your word, never shrink back from the power and truth of your gospel because we know that your gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. We humbly ask, Lord, that you would use us. And we come to you in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus, our mediator, their ransom, 
for our souls. With the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.